or somewhere. But yeah, feels like you guys are the lucky few who are part of the studio today. So give yourself a hands for that. <laughs> and then welcome yeah, to everyone who's joining us um, live via Zoom this morning as well. Um, yeah, so excited to continue our um, series, I guess, on on peace and rest. And I think it's been feeding through the year on different themes, including anxiety and how to 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 deal with that. Um, so actually, while I was worshiping, I thought, wow, it'd actually be cool if I could change the name of a sermon to "Resting in Peace." Because um, that's probably more fitting what I would have called it if I could could change it now. But so resting in peace or identity, maybe it's being done as we speak. But I think just building on the last few weeks, last week we spoke about pursuing peace and just making the decision in our lives that we're going to pursue God's peace. We're going to compare decisions that we have to make in accordance with how it aligns with being in God's peace and staying in God's peace. And uh, we had some questions that we discussed. Some of them could have been new to, to many of us, thinking how does that look in the next five years? For many of us, we're just trying to get through the month, never mind the next five years or next 90 days. So that was maybe a new thought or a new way of thinking that I actually can engage how I'm going to um, think about the future in, in relation with, with God's peace. And sometimes we realize we don't think about those things. We just prod along in life, fall into the the next thing, and we hope it, it's peace, and we shouldn't worry about the future at all, but I think there's a place where we need to align what is our hearts really seeking. And earlier uh, in the past, we preached on a, a sermon um, that just spoke to what is our hearts really longing after, because that's in the end what we're going for. Um, regardless of how we're renewing our mind, in the end of the day, what our hearts want, that is what it's going to seek. And that's why we need to sometimes stop and think, but what does my heart really want? Intellectually, I'm thinking I'm trying to follow Jesus, but if I really get what I want, what would that be? And would that be seeking God's peace? Ah, perfect. Thank you. Amazing. Um, So resting in identity... And just building on that, so the focus for today to a large extent would be we spoke a lot lately about not only techniques but ways of how practically engaging God's peace and principles behind it. But in the end, it's about God, obviously. It's Philippians 4 verse 9 says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. So we're not seeking, we're not talking about some kind of new age peace that is separate from God, because that is, the world is trying to tell us that there's different ways that we can get peace, but without God. So you don't have to be accountable to God. And I think how Matthew unpacked the worldviews fits so beautifully into that, because the predominant mainstream worldviews these days try to explain the world and how we can live without God. In our workplaces, many times we get mentored in a way that excludes God from our reality. And so we even, there's ways of trying to seek peace without engaging God or or coming to the Prince of Peace, Jesus himself. And those things don't really lead to true peace. We spoke about shalom peace, about the that's being God's fullness and not only the absence of anxiety. And sometimes the world peace can distract us from what's going on in our lives. And there's many good principles that's very good to apply. But in the end, what really gives us peace? And I think it all comes down to whose we are in the end of the day, identity. Um, so if we go to the, the next one. A picture that I saw a while ago was this idea, uh, sorry, oh, that's just our sermon, maybe let's read that. 
It's Ephesians um, 1, 4, 5b, 4b to 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In love. So that's an important thing to remember as we go through the sermon, that in love, he predestined us for adoption. So from the start, because of his love, his plan was to have connection through us, through relationship, but not any relationship, us becoming called, be able to call, be called children of God. And that was his plan, so that he can be our father, and he is a father, the ultimate father. And that's just the blueprint on which it's all built, but we'll get back to that. So, practically, I saw this, uh, almost this picture of, if you're running a race, let's say you have professional athletes and you're being sponsored by Nike, right? So Nike wants you to wear their gear, and when you get on the podium, they obviously, um, given that you're a good athlete, they want you to wear it so that they can get exposure and that their name basically gets glorified in that sense, if we can just use, use those wordings, but just to expose their brand, obviously. So, but imagine, or, or think, and I have a picture that I saw is someone running with Reebok gear, training with Reebok gear, even racing with Reebok gear. And when you get on the podium, you change your, the T-shirt and you put on your Nike T-shirt because that's who you get paid by. So I guess you have to give honor to Nike. But it's so hypocritical in a way. But I've, and how it relates to the sermon is just how I felt that many times in our lives we're being powered through the flesh or this way of this world or selfish ambition. And in the end, we at some stage want to give glory to God. Like at the end, we do it by our own strength, our own means. And in the end, we want to say, no, glory to God in whatever platform or where that's applicable. But it's not like we've been partnering with God from the start, right? It's not like we've been waiting on Him through this. We haven't been doing it with God. We've been doing it for God in a sense. And then in the end, we want to say on our social media or wherever, glory to God. But it's almost like trying to appease Him through giving Him some glory so that He can be satisfied and that I can go back to my life and do things the way I would like to do it. And in that same way, as absurd as it sounds for someone to train with other gear and then the end try to give, let's say, Nike um, the honor, in that same way sometimes we find ourselves in a place where during our days we, we don't rely on God in that sense. We don't plug into Him, if you like, lean into Him, wait on Him to do what we need to do, but then in the end we want to give Him glory. And it is a process. Last week I had a picture of an onion with different layers, and we said there's different layers to work through. So it's not like we have to be perfect from day one, but it is something just to, that, I, that I wanted to yeah, just explain almost that idea. And I think many times it's because of our environments that we find ourselves in, mentor or coach us in a sense. If you think of in a corporate culture, and maybe if we go to the next slide, that's just a picture of, maybe some of you would know it, but they showed in the chosen, it's their background, but what I like about it, it's fish swimming upstream. So mainstream culture obviously doesn't want to glorify God, doesn't want to trust on God, doesn't want to submit under God. So we tend to sometimes find our identities in the mainstream way of things, how things are being done at work. Because at work, wherever you find yourself, there's a certain way that we get coached in how to do things. Industries do things contrary to the way the kingdom sees it or to the, uh, contrary to biblical ways. And over time... We find ourselves, I mean, we have to do the work, so we just do it in that way. That's not God glorifying in any way, but also not trusting in God. 
and we find ourselves, I mean, it's hard to swim upstream. So we just find ourselves later just going with a stream. I mean, it takes a lot of energy. So let's just go with a stream. And before we find it, our identities gets formed by our circumstances, by our, by our workplaces, um, by the way the world measures values and performance. That's how we start doing it. And, but we remember, oh, wait, I'm Christian. I should give glory to God. So after doing things the way the world does it, somewhere I realize, okay, I'm actually Christian. I have to do quiet time. And then we go and in, in that way we try and give glory to God. And we do it from a sincere place. I mean, it's not like we plan this. We just find, I mean, if you, who has been caught up in a stream, whether it's in the ocean or in a river, I mean, you find yourself in it, and then you just go. Sometimes it, it catches you by surprise. Sometimes you don't even realize it. That's the danger of streams in the ocean. You, you swim, and you're having a good time, and before you see it, you've moved quite a bit. You're no longer where you want to be. And if you go to the next slide, that ties into this picture I showed last week. Maybe go back to the previous slide. I'll chat about that now. But So if we use the example of being in an ocean... The, the stream current uh, pulls you in a certain direction and you don't even realize it. And again, like Matthew's worldview sermons, those streams are sometimes those worldviews that we find ourselves in and they aren't pointing to God. Those worldviews do not want to take us closer to God. That's not their aim at all. They are here to glorify the prince of this world, not the king of kings and the lord of lords. And the problem with that is that the fruit of that is not going to be peace, right? It's never going to be peace. There might be an absence of um, confrontation in some sense, um, so where we abdicate responsibility or get away from things that cause anxiety, but it doesn't deal with those problems, so it never would really give us true peace. So if we... Maybe let's stay here. Corney Backer has this term where he says, in the world, people want to be healthy, wealthy, and famous, right? And then many come to Jesus, and they want to be healthy, wealthy, and famous for Jesus, right? It's like that podium thing that we spoke of. We want to do the things in the way of the world, but at least we want to have a Jesus sticker somewhere as well, or at least glorify him. And again, I don't think we ever do it from a place of insincerity, but just that's just where I find ourselves in, because that's the predominant prevailing worldviews that we're in. I mean, we think because we put the Jesus sticker on, wow, we're different from the world, because somewhere I acknowledge the existence of Jesus, so that should make me Christian. But we know Jesus said that even demons know who Jesus is. So that can't be the differentiator. So maybe while just thinking about that, where if, if you think in your own place where you find yourself, your industries, your family values, I mean, I, I said workplace, but it could be your family how your family sees things. Maybe your family is, uh, um, you were brought up in a culture that acknowledges God and is religious, but doesn't really have relationship with Him. And in that sense, you might be running the race with worldly strength. You've been taught you should be strong on your own. You should be independent and whatever it might be, but not really trusting in God, but trying to give him honor at the end of the day. And I just find in my own life that's so hypocritical because it's like almost, it's almost false humility that we want to do things and then at the end use it for another purpose and say, here God, I, I did this for you as well, but we know we're actually doing it to go that direction. And just if we go to the next slide... What we said last week, or I said last week, is just this picture, um, vision kind of thing that I saw of our lives representing rafts we're on. 
and we're looking to Jesus, uh, the cross, but these streams, currents pull us away. And from time to time, we might realize it or not. And just that the worldviews and the world doesn't point to Jesus, and in the end, the world starts forming us. And then we no longer, in the deep parts of our hearts, are really seeking Jesus. We're just seeking wealth, health, and fame, or whatever, in whatever format you would like to put that. And if you go back to the swimming against the tide slide, if we're not swimming upstream, we're swimming downstream. But it's actually a miracle on its own to swim upstream. If you think of fish swimming upstream, if you, have to, if you live a life of swimming upstream, and it's not being rebellious or trying to argue with any, everyone on everything the whole time and showing them the right way, but it's, no, it's living like Christ, and it might involve things like that. But the thing is, it's countercultural, and it's swimming against the stream. And we need to realize there is a stream. You know, the thing, uh, like a fish in water doesn't know it's surrounded by water because that's just how it's always been. And in the same way, we're surrounded by these cultural currents, if you like. And we get formed by it and we get so used to it that we don't even identify it. And we think we're all Christian and following Jesus. And our intention is there, but... Our lives are maybe not there. And the result of that, if we go on to, I think I have a verse there. So, in these different identities. So, firstly, there's a saying in business where they say, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Now, what that means is you can have all the strategies you like, but... Culture is what's going to determine it at the end of the day. And we can strategize how are we going to follow Jesus and list all these things and have all these intentions. But in the end of the day, it's culture that trumps that. So we can walk out of a sermon all fired up and decide we're going to do this and this. And sometimes that is the starting place. I mean, you have to start somewhere. We have to reform the way we do things. But that alone... It's not going to cut it. And I think if I can add to that, if culture eats strategy for breakfast, I think identity guides culture. And that's why whose we are and our positioning, uh, where our identity lies is what's going to determine what's our culture over time and then is going to determine our strategy and how we go about things. So the different... Identities, how I see it as either fear or love, kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, right? So there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But the big thing is, in these other identities, we're never going to find peace. So in our pursuing of peace, shalom, godly peace, if we really want to seek it, there's going to be a place where we need to, if we go to that picture again, the previous one of the rafts, where we need to realize we need to reposition our hearts and our identities. And like that onion being peeled, we need to work through those layers that's prohibiting us from desiring connection with God. Because sometimes we want to do things with God, but not for Him. We're not seeking connection with God. We're seeking to do things for Him. And sometimes it unfortunately just comes from a place of shame, of us wanting to justify ourselves so that we can tell God, basically, these are all the things that I did, and this is why I'm worthy of salvation. Because otherwise we need to... And we, it's, it, it just comes back to the truth of the gospel, which really makes it good news. So if we go to that scripture again. So we said it's fear or love, and we will remember that um, yeah, Jesus is obviously the, the source of love, and, and it's through that that we get there. If we go to the next one. So... 
The problem then sometimes is now we realize this, oh, I'm not really, my identity is sometimes fear-driven. The things that I do is out of a place of fear and not out of a place of love. Like the Bible says, we're compelled by love, but sometimes we find ourselves we're not compelled by love. We're compelled by fear or our daily lives. And what do we do then? Because we're so in a habit of just doing things. just going to take a sip here. So we're so in a habit of just doing things and that can just get us tired and sure, now I have to do another few things. Now I have to figure out how to change my identity. Another thing on the to-do list to do. But that's the amazing thing is that we can stay on that scripture. Um, is that in love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We have had the honor, my, my wife and I, to, to adopt little Joshua. The amazing thing is, just in a, in a human sense, he didn't have to do anything to get adopted. We did the adoption work in that sense. And I think there's a lot in that, that in our relationship with God, there's obviously a place where we're turning to him but he predestined, in love, he predestined for us to be adopted. And John 3, verse 16, it's not on the screen, but I just want to read it to you. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And then in the first part of John, it just says that everyone who believes in him, he gives a right to become children of God. So we see that Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world, for the world was already condemned. And God predestined in love, his motivation was love, and we'll get to that later again. He predestined us for adoption to himself. That is what we were created to, is to be adopted children of God from the start. That was God's plan. God's plan was not for us to be servants, but not children and then getting wages or payment in that sense. It was to be children, and that's that place where true peace comes from. And then if we go to the, the next slide, I just said it's something I heard somewhere, but previous slide, sorry. Oh, previous slide, maybe my slides are mixed up. But it, identity determines destiny. So where we're going to end up in the end of the day is going to be hugely impacted by our identity. No, a, a little lion is going to hunt a buck, and a buck, a little buck, is going to run away from a lion. It's almost part of their identity. It just happens. Um, with Joshua, a little boy, no one ever had to tell him that cars are cool, that playing with play guns are cool, or that doing things like that is cool. He just picked up on it somewhere. I mean, we, we didn't in any way say, yes, things to play with, play with this. He just gravitates toward it. And it's just amazing for me how, how of many of that got programmed inside of us. And again, identity is destiny. It determines who we're going to become and where we are going to go. Um, if we go to the next slide. So I want to read for us out of Luke 15, the story of a prodigal son. I don't have the slides on here, but it's going to be like a ro rolling commentary almost. So let's do this. So it's from Luke 15, verse 11. So we all know the story, but there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of a property that is coming to me. 
So in the Hebrew culture, specifically, the older son normally was the one who would get the father's inheritance, and the younger one would not obviously be the main heir um, to, to his father's property and all that. So the younger one in this story comes and he says, no, give me my part of the property before the father even passed away. And the father divided the property between them. And if you have to think of this in a father-son type of relationship, especially in that culture, I mean, there's a scripture that says children are like um, arrows in your quiver. And it's, it's this thing of the sons taking the father's vision almost further to an extent, if you can say that. So this younger son decided he doesn't really want to be part of his father's vision and things. He wants to take what is his. He's no, he has a right to that. And he wants to take that and he wants to go do life on his own. He, to an extent, he basically is cutting ties with him. So not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. I mean, these were before the days of Facebook and communication like we have it today. So it's not like they were going to follow him on Instagram or get WhatsApp updates or, or anything like that. I mean, it probably took a few months to get a message. Uh, so... I mean, it's, they were basically cutting ties, or the son was choosing to cut ties. And it says, so he went into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he went there living the life of his dreams. He probably thought about this for long, and he decided he's going to do life his way. And I mean, where it says reckless living, I think he indulged in lots of things like sexual addictions and things he parted hard and he just threw himself at his desires with his inheritance that he got from his father and many times in life we might be like that we take what God has given us our inheritance in him our freedom from which we have been set free and we decide we're going to do life on our own we maybe don't decide it, but again, the, the cultural influences of a day pulls us in that direction. The parable about the seed sower, Matthew 13, there's the one where it says, the cares and riches of the world choke the seeds in the end. So there's a place where the seed falls, it starts growing, the kingdom of heaven starts to become a reality in our life, but the riches and cares of this world chokes it. And in that same way, I think we squander our life. I mean, Jesus said, whoever loses his life for my sake will keep it, and whoever keeps his life will lose it. You know, so we pull back our life, we keep it, and we start spending it on our own desires, not submitting to the lordship of Jesus and this freedom, we maybe come from a place where we know our God has set us free in the past and we have this freedom, we're more confident, we can get further in life on the corporate ladder, um, and many things, and we start squandering it on our own desires and we start walking away with God. We're no longer seeking connection with God. Just like the prodigal son, we decide, God, give us what comes was due to me. Maybe we've learned some amazing biblical truths and we start applying that in our own lives and we get this freedom and we decide, okay, I'm going to do this now on my own. I'm going to just go and follow my passions, pick up my life again. And if we follow the story further, we see it says in verse 14, and he spent everything and when he had spent everything, now he probably built up a lot of friends in that time, and he was in, in Afrikaans, uh, they have this word, trust baba, so it's uh, if you have generational health, wealth, <laughs> that you have inherited, and you go just buy a place in Camps Bay, nothing wrong with that, if that's any of you, do invite us, but you go build that, you have Porsches downstairs, but you never worked for it, so you can just spend it. But at some time, 
he basically spent everything in this foreign country when no one knew him, so he could just do what he did. And a severe famine arose in that country. It's almost like the pandemic we're experiencing, right? We see what happens when the pandemic strikes. The economy starts going down. Opportunities lessen economic opportunities, lessen people, lose jobs, income, and it becomes, uh, can become a hard time. And we see that he became... He began to be in need. And what did he do at that stage when difficulty strikes? I mean, if his identity was in that he had connection with his father, he would have gone back to his father. But no, he didn't go back to his father. It says, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And many times we're like that. We know we've sinned against God. In some way, we've uh, used things for our own desires, and we basically have walked away from God to an extent. So we now need to figure it out on our own. So we, we go and make plans, our own plans in the flesh, and we, in that sense, hire ourselves out to our circumstances. And it's interesting to see he, this prodigal son being a Jewish man. I mean... For them, culturally, pigs uh, were uh, unclean animals. And this foreign citizen decided to give him to go and feed the pigs, which was almost, I mean, uh, disgusting, a, a thing that should have awoken disgust in him that his life has come to feeding pigs. His, his family back home <laughs> would have been shocked at the fact that he's now gone down to that level in terms of, of feeding pigs. And that's also the thing, just coming back to what Jesus said, if we take up our lives for ourselves, we will lose it. And the world is not going to treat us well, right? They're going to have us feed the pigs in the end of the day. But we see also in that that he's there feeding the pigs, and he was longing to be fed with pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And sometimes in our lives, we need to get to that place, just like you, where we're feeding the pigs. We've been not trusting in God. Maybe we've even, it's not like we run away from God, but in some way, maybe it's from the community of God, godly community in church, or just shunning. In some way, something happened, and we're shunning God in some way. We're no longer pursuing connection. Maybe we think we have an understanding with Him, but not really pursuing connection and then we get to difficulties in our lives where we need to feed pigs. We've been going downstream in this, going down the current, and we, we find ourselves at a place where we don't want to be. And like the prodigal son, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? And we find ourselves at that place of maybe realizing that we need to come back to God. And he said, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So, I mean, he's probably journeying back from that long journey. He's thinking the whole time, what is he going to say to his father? And he's trying to justify and say, okay, he's realized he really screwed up badly. He can't come back as a son. Uh, maybe he can come back as a servant, but at least that was better. And he's thinking through this, how is he going to justify himself? And probably it kept him a bit away as well. And many times we find ourselves in that, that we don't want to come back to God because how we have this belief that we're not good enough. And that, but we still try, we want to deserve God's love. And that's the amazing thing that Romans 5 says. That It says that while we were still sinners, at the right time, Christ died for us. I just want to read that um, properly. Romans 5 from verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the amazing thing that we saw in that previous scripture. If we just go back to that previous scripture of the love of God, that in love he predestined us. And that love does not speak about conditional love. It's the love of the undeserved. We didn't deserve love, but God gave love. Why? Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. And he died for us while we were still sinners. Christ, at the right time, died for us. So the price that we had to pay has already been paid in Jesus. Amen? So when we come to God, we don't come because we have all our ducks figured out, because we have cleaned up our life. We come to him knowing that because of the good news of Jesus Christ that says that Jesus paid the price and therefore we can come, come to him. But there is a place where we need to turn 180 degrees. What, what's the biblical word for turning 180 degrees? And the English one? Repentance. So the son was going one way, right? He was running away from his father. He was going to a foreign land, going where they couldn't reach him. And at a stage, he did 180 started going back to the Father. And that's the requirement from our side. Jesus paid the price. While we were still sinners, unworthy, undeserved of God's love, Jesus died for us on the cross so that we could have eternal life, be connected to the Father. But we need to turn back to Him. We were one way, but we need to be turning back to Him. And that's where we need to our response is just turning back to God. We don't have to do anything else but turn back to Him and run to Him. And that's what the prodigal son did. But he was still thinking from a place. He didn't probably know the good news by that time. It's obviously just a story. But he was coming back to the Father. And he was thinking in his mind, Wow, how am I going to tell Father that I just want to be a servant? And thinking through this, and I'm just going to read what he thought. Um, he, he said to himself that he's going to tell his father, and he rehearsed this many times, thinking, is this going to work, not going to work? And as he's walking, he's thinking, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your highest servants. Okay, he's remembering that. And as he's coming on to his father, he's coming to the place his father sees him and runs to him. And he's starting to rehearse his little thing that he's going to say. And he's saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But at that time, the father is not caring. He's embracing him. He's hugging him. And at that moment, his father is just waving to his servants and say, Bring the robe, bring a ring, and bring sandals. My son was lost and is found and he was dead, and he's alive again. And we can see the father clothing him with his identity. The father knew that he was gone, and he was repenting because he was coming back. And out of that place, the father didn't first sit him down and say, listen, before you become part of this family again, there's some things we're going to have to chat through. Or first, the father embraced him, and immediately the father started clothing him with the identity. And that's how our heavenly Father is. When we have ran away and we think we are not worthy, God's response is, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us at the right time. And there's just that place where we just need to come back to God. And He clothes us with identity. He clothes us. He wants connection. He's drawing us near once we've come to that place of repentance. And I just want to, while we're in this place, just close our eyes. Everyone can just close your eyes. And just as the Holy Spirit is ministering to you, just whether there's that place where, whether in whatever manner or way or degree you have turned away from God, place where you hardened your heart against God, where you decided you're just going to do things on your own, you're going to squander what is given to you in reckless living. And it's that place where we can, just like the prodigal son, turn back to him. 
And just if you're on Zoom, just close your eyes. And I just want us to spend this time with God now where we, where we turn to Him like the prodigal son, knowing that Jesus has paid the price, that while we were still sinners at the right time, Christ died for us. See, God has, is the love of the undeserved that He's giving to us, unconditional love. It's not conditional on us getting everything right, but turning to Him. And I, I want you just to, let's just... Wait on the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you just in this time, just as you are bringing hearts closer to you, Father, that we can, just like the prodigal son, come to you, Jesus. You paid the price, that you gave us eternal life, and that we can turn to you. And just want to say to you that it doesn't matter where you are right now in your life, how you've screwed up things, what unwise decisions you've made, the Father is not seeking explanations at this time, but He longs to clothe you with the identity of a son again because that's what He predestined you from the start. He has already paid the price through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we just thank You for that. We just declare that over everyone now, Father. We thank You just for that. And just in your own, just quiet for a while, just respond to God now. Just say, here I am, Father. I'm here for You. Just respond. You don't, we're not going to call anyone to the front. You just stay where you are just for a minute. We're going we're gonna to do that and you know, ask Quibas just to, after a while, just lead us in a, in a song, just as we connect with the Father and just come to him. Slide. It's just a place like we saw in the prodigal son where we turn back to God and we, we run to him like the prodigal son did. And we see what the father's rejoicement is all about. He says that my son was dead and is alive again. He is, was lost and is found. And that's the father's heart towards us, is us coming back to life. He is that life. He is that true life and that place of refreshment. And He is the one from whom we get unconditional love. And it's the love of the undeserved. So in love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. And our identity then is then to be as children of the Most High God and sons. So it's like we are, the church is the bride of Christ. It's for guys and girls. In the same way for girls and guys, it's to be sons of God. It's that position that we take in um, with Him. And we see that this is a place of turning to God. So true peace then in identity comes from having connection with God. It's not about doing things for God or relating to God or just renewing our mind, that's all good, but it's, it's not enough. Jesus died on the cross so that we can have relationship with God, and it's from that place where we get true peace. And then from there, if we go to the next verse, we see in Ephesians, in Paul unpacking this further, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him. Go to the next one. And seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us. So we can see that we're positioned as children. We take in that we're adopted so, cool thing about the South African adoption law, and Nita might need to help me out here, but is there's a place where obviously a child gets born and on that day he, he gets a birth certificate, right, regardless of how things look going forward. And when adoption happens in the South African law, that birth certificate gets changed 
So in Joshua's case, it would be Joshua Lagrange as born of um, Jacques and Nita. So the, the law actually acknowledges this true principle of adoption, that adoption is not just getting out somewhere and staying there, but you get grafted in, you become part of a family. And in the same way, it's built on the blueprint of what God did for all of us as Gentiles is coming to, when we come to, to him, we get adopted, grafted in as if through the blood of Jesus. So it's not based on our works and what we did, but based on what Jesus did. So there's no longer a place where we need to come and try and do things, but it's what Christ already done for us. And because of that, we get grafted in as children of a most high God. And Romans 8 just speaks beautifully to some of this. I just want to read that to you. Um, It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work to, you know, that's a bit too early, right? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. But just verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So we're called to be a co-heirs with Christ. And that is our identity, is to live out the kingdom it's part of our identity. It's not something we do or must do to be good Christians. It's part of our identity. It's, it's what we were called to do and in that relationship as children of God that we get invited into. Then in Romans 5, speaks about that reality where it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So to peace comes from being reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. And it's from that place where we get true peace. We need to practice peace in the way we do life, and there's different ways that we have spoken about, but that's an outflow of an identity and being reconciled with Christ. It doesn't help we try all these other things, but the most important thing isn't in place. If we go to the next one. And that, just speaking to identity again, is the Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And that just leads to a place where surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And Quibus preached about this last year somewhere. But this is also a psalm of identity that just speaks where our identity is in Christ. From that place it flows. And if you think about lots of uh, um, scriptures on peace, Psalm uh, Isaiah 26 verse 3, um, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. If this is just a mental exercise of, oh, I need to remember to focus on Christ, and it's not out of a place of relationship, then it becomes a, almost a heavy burden to bear all these things that we need to remember to do right, but out of a place of relationship, we're beholding the Father, our Father. If we go to the next slide, I think that's the last one, and St. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Just says it so beautifully. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And until we get to that place of like the prodigal son, turning to God, it's, we're always going to have that restlessness. It doesn't help we pursue peace if we're not pursuing the Prince of Peace. And with that, I just want to, to end for us today. And this is a continual journey, and I want to encourage you, if there's anyone that wants more prayer or, or anything, um, please, please come and we'll love to, to pray with you. But in the end, yeah, it's about 
having a relationship with Jesus, and that's where it starts. So with that, I just want to close for us in prayer. Father, we thank you just for the way you've made us, Father, for the beautiful way in how you've designed relationship with you, that in the midst of a world that doesn't follow you, in the midst of a place where industries point the other way, point away from Christ and try to pull our hearts from that and get our hearts to focus on other things, you trumped all of that by by instituting relationship as the first thing, Father, that you want with us, Father, connection, God. We thank you for that, Father, that that from that place comes true peace, Father. We thank you for that, that there's no striving in our own strength to be a good Christian, to do the right things, Father. And we just repent of that, Father, this morning, of just in any way striving to be good Christians, upholding whatever position we might be, Father, to to get your acceptance. And we thank you that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, Jesus, and that it's because of your undeserved love for us, that we can be called children of God, Father. And we just speak that over us this morning. We just declare that truth, Father. And we thank you for that invitation, Jesus, where you said in Matthew 11, Come to me, everyone who is heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest. We thank you just for that, for that place of response in our hearts, God. We thank you that you just continue that process in our hearts, Jesus, that We will not be orphans in this world, but we will be children of the Most High God. We thank you just for that richness and inheritance that we have in you and knowing the Father. Thank you just for that, God. And we we just bless you, Father. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you for everything that you've done. We bless you for just your love, God. You are are good, Father. We praise you for that. Mm. Maybe we can finish off with a with another song quivers and just yeah with that as you go into this week we'll be continuing a bit on on this next week in Vaomi Sundays but yeah draw near to God and he will draw near to you man let's let's worship